connecting with one another in creative ways. That's what we're looking to do in January. Well, let's jump into the word of God this morning. If you can stand with me, if you can stand with me, I want to read just a few verses from Matthew's gospel. Um, and I'll be preaching on more of them, but just reading the first six verses from Matthew chapter 2. Let, let's read. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who has been born King of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed and all Jerusalem with him. When he called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Messiah was to be born. In Bethlehem, in Judea, they replied. For this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. May God bless the reading, hearing, and application of his word by his spirit today. Let me pray. Father, we pray that today we would hear your word anew and afresh. And the wonder of the incarnation, Lord God, would touch us in a, in a fresh way, Lord God, would, would, would move in us that we might glorify you more and more with our lives and with our lips. And we give you glory for all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen and amen. You may be seated. Praise the Lord. Today, I'm speaking on the idea of welcome to worship, welcomed to worship. Uh, we'll see that God welcomes uh, people into the worship of Jesus Christ today. Let me ask you as I get into this, how many people, raise your hand if you have a nativity set at home? You have, I see a lot of hands raised. Okay, now we're, we're, we're going to weed this out a little bit. How many people have 10 or more nativity sets at home? Don't be, don't be ashamed. Raise your hand high, honey. Raise your hand high. Okay, you walk in our house and there's nativity sets all over the place. I heard a rumor that I think I can substantiate that there's a person who goes to New Life Church. I don't see her here today. And I won't mention Sue Carter by name, but what I had heard through the grapevine was she might like have over a hundred nativity sets from all over the world, nativity sets all over the world. I love seeing the nativity set. Isn't it beautiful? Today, we're going to talk about the visit of the Magi from the East, the wise men who come. And, and I'm not trying to rock anyone's world or mess up anybody's life. But to be honest, our nativity sets are a little bit off. Amen. Because the Bible tells us that the wise men come some months later after the birth of Jesus. It tells us that by this time, Jesus is 
living with Mary and Joseph in a house, no longer in a stable, in a manger, but now he's in a house. So it's some years after this. And this wonderful thing happens that these wise men, these Magi in, in in some church history, they they want to say that they were kings. We don't know that these three kings of Orient are right. Uh, that but these men uh, come first to Jerusalem to find the one who is born King of the Jews. And so I want to jump into this text briefly this morning. First of all, I want to tell you that what we learn from this text is that God invites everyone to worship. God invites everyone to worship. We went through Mark's gospel verse by verse for about a year and a half. Amen. And you were probably sick of us saying that, look how God reaches out to Gentiles. Look how he reaches out to this group and that group who weren't the in group. But God is always reaching out to people that you would least expect. And here at the birth of Jesus, before he starts his ministry, before he does anything but show up in a stable, in the hay, in a manger, before he does anything else, God lets people far away know Pagans far away know, Gentiles far away know that the Messiah, the King of the Jews is born. God is reaching out before Jesus as a baby can even speak a word. These pagan astrologers are led to Jesus by God. Amen. And God leads them to Jesus using something they're familiar with. They're astrologers. They, they look at the stars. They get thrown out of a whole lot of Bible churches. Amen. Because you shouldn't be doing that. But God uses that means. How many of you know God is God and he's going to use whatever means he needs to use to reach someone? Amen. There are those who would say that God no longer moves through dreams and visions. I would like you to talk with the thousands upon thousands upon thousands of Muslims in the Middle East who are coming to faith because they saw Jesus in a dream and in a vision. God can speak as he does in the Bible through a donkey to turn someone around. God can speak through a big fish and, and, and make a prophet uh, turn around his, his life and ministry. Amen. God will speak how he wants to. However, he does because he wants to lead people to himself. And thirdly, I want you to see this about these men. God leads them not just as curious seekers, but he leads them as fervent worshipers. The scripture says in in verse two, it says, we saw his stars. It rose in the east And we have come to worship him. We'll see later on just how much and how excited they are to worship the one born king of the Jews. God invites everyone to worship. Who are we to push any away? Amen. Secondly, and this is the scary point for me this morning, is that those closest to God miss it. 
Again, remember going through Mark's gospel, we saw it over and over again. Those who ought to know the most keep missing it, but we see it again before the ministry of Jesus. We see it in his birth, in his incarnation. Those who were right there, those who should have known better, they are the ones who miss the mark here. The scripture says that... uh, When King Herod, verse 3, heard about this, he was disturbed. And the Bible says, and all Jerusalem with him. And then he asks uh, the people, the the wise men, the the chief priests and the the scribes, he asks them, where is this going to take place? Herod hears about this visitation and he's trying to figure out where it's going down. Where is he going to be born? And the the scribes and the chief priests tell him that it's going to happen in Bethlehem in Judea. They quote Micah 5.2 and they say, but you Bethlehem in the land of Judah are by no means least among the rulers of Judah for out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. They know the book. Here's what I want you to see. They know the book, but they don't know the writer. They know the book. Oh, where is Messiah going to be born? We know it. Let's go. Micah, we got it. They know the book, but they're missing the writer. It says that Herod and all Jerusalem with him were disturbed. They get the message from these men who had probably come hundreds of miles from Assyria, Babylon, perhaps even from Persia. If they were in Susa, the capital of Persia, they would have come over a thousand miles. It would have taken them months to get to Jerusalem. They came all this way to Jerusalem because God had showed them that a king of the Jews was born Undoubtedly, Herod and others in Jerusalem had heard something about the birth of Jesus. There were just too many prophecies that happened right around it, right? There were too many things. Shepherds heard about it and others heard about it. And the the news was out there. And yet they didn't take the time to inquire and do their due diligence. They were still hanging out in Jerusalem. And the Bible says that they were disturbed. Why are they disturbed? You're waiting for Messiah. You get news that this new king, Messiah, is born in Bethlehem. What's going on? The Bible doesn't tell us this, but we learn from history of Herod. Herod was a cruel, power-hungry well connected to Caesar. He was named the king of the Jews. The other Herods and the other leaders that you see in the New Testament, none of them is named king like Herod is. Herod knows how to work the political system to find favor with those in power, and he does it well. And he's cruel, and he's protective of his throne. You see that later. We're not going to go into that today, but when he has... The, 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 all those under two years old killed in 
in uh, Bethlehem because he wants to wipe out any possibility of a new king rising up. Herod is a cruel man. He is an ungodly king, and at the same time, he's the one who builds, rebuilds the, the temple more marvelous than it ever was. It takes over 60 years for the completion of that temple. He does magnificent work there, and yet he is more connected to Caesar and to politics than he is to Yahweh. God, help us. God, help us when we get get consumed with other things other than the lordship of Jesus Christ as his church. He has set up, uh, we, we learn again from history, that he kicked out the Sanhedrin, the ruling establishment of the Jewish people, and put his own folks in. So people who could roll with Herod with his lack of fidelity to God and his wanting to make sure that whatever we do, we're always going to please Caesar. We're going to be okay with Rome. He puts in a puppet regime. Brothers and sisters, this is important because you see that not only Herod is disturbed, but all of Jerusalem is disturbed at the message that the king is born. The new king, the Messiah, the one you've been waiting for, you're disturbed by that. You're not thrilled by that. Here's what I want you to see. Bethlehem is six miles away from Jerusalem. See what I wrote up there? What? (laughs) It's six miles away. That's about a two-hour walk just chilling. Amen? It's a two-hour walk away from Jerusalem. If you got a horse, you can get there in a few minutes. And yet, Herod doesn't go. The people don't go. The, 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 the priests don't go. The scribes don't go. They just said, go, go, go. And then Herod gets him to the side and says, when you find out exactly where he is, let me know. Because I want to go worship him. No, you don't, Herod. He's not going to worship him. He wants... He wants him dead because he is a potential rival to the throne. He wants him dead. I'm amazed by this this reality that the long-awaited Messiah has been born. And when the people hear about it, they're disturbed. They are disturbed. That tells me that a heart that lacks a passion for God will not even lift a finger to find him, even though he's right there. He's right there. This is a warning, I think, to us as, as, as I'll call it veteran believers. Well, we've been walking with God for a while. We know God. We know the scriptures. We can find this. Some of y'all are great with your Bible sword games and you can hit the chapter and the verse in just a second. And that's a good thing to be able to do. But let, let, here's what I want you to see. Complacency in faith. When there is no ongoing spark of life is like plaque building up in your spiritual aorta. You didn't even know you had a spiritual aorta, did you? 
Plaque builds up in our bodies, in our blood vessels. And when it builds up in your aorta, you get atherosclerosis, which is the, the hardening of that artery, the closing of that passageway. And you can have that condition for years and years and years and not know anything about it until emergency strikes. Heart attack happens. Stroke happens. Even death happens. It leads to that emergency. Brothers and sisters, what I, what I want us to be aware of is not getting to that place of spiritual apathy. Amen. Of, of, I know this Jesus game. I know this Christian game. I know how to do it. I've got my way of doing it. And that's just how I'm going to roll. God wants to disturb your world. Amen. <laughs> he wants to disturb my world, not just when you first get saved, but day by day and year by year and decade by decade. He's going to disturb you in new ways because he wants to draw you to himself and for you to see the glory of God all over again in fresh and new ways. If Christianity is getting boring and slow to you, it's not because of God. It's not because of Jesus. It's not because the Holy Spirit is not living and active. It's not because the word of God has stopped doing what it does. It's something in your own spiritual makeup that you need to shake out of by God's grace. So maybe somebody today needs to say, God, help me. I need to shake out of this thing. I need to wake up. God is right here. God is at work. Be encouraged. God is at work. In January, as we break the fast, we're going to have uh, a time, a class. Pastor Tim and I are going to do it on uh, that Saturday morning on contemplative spirituality, contemplative practices, things like daily office, Things like Christian meditation, things like silence and solitude, things like Lectio Divina, different ways to approach God, different ways to hear from God by his spirit. And the goal of all of this is that I will be formed more in the image of Christ. It's not to gain a lot of information to win a contest, but it is to be formed and changed by him. I encourage you to come out. For that last point here today, come to Jesus in true worship. Amen. He invites us to worship. He invites you to worship. Come to Jesus in true worship. In verse 11, the scripture says, on coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother, Mary, and they bowed down and worshiped him. They bowed down and worshiped him. They assumed the posture of worship. They recognized that he, although he's a baby, a little one, they recognize who he is. <laughs> this is the great king who has come, and they bow. What does it mean for you to bow down to Jesus? What does that mean 
for you in your life? What does it mean for you in your life to acknowledge the reality that he is the great and mighty one and we take the low position to serve him? What does that look like in your life? Listen, I I realize uh, I, I grew up Catholic, Roman Catholic. And so I thought if you were going to pray, you had to kneel down. Otherwise, your prayers don't count. That, that was just me. I don't think I was ever taught that. That was just the way I, I kind of process things. And I realized that, hey, I can be walking around and praying. <laughs> I can be driving in my car and praying. I can pray in all kinds of different ways. And, and, and I've heard some people say, like when, when we're worshiping and some people may raise their hands, oh, it doesn't take all that. And you're right. You can worship God without raising your hands. You can worship God at times without yelling. You can worship God in the meeting in your place of work that's not a Christian place of work. You can worship God and you don't have to say, praise Jesus, glory to God, and get fired by the boss. You, 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 can, you can worship God, but I just want to say that there are times and there is a time when you ought to kneel down to God in prayer. There is a time when you ought to raise your hands and you ought to just blurt out as loud as you can, glory to God in the highest. Glory to God. He is good. Thank you, Jesus. There are times when we want to have that posture. Here's my question. How is Jesus practically becoming the first priority in your life? Oh, Lord, let's make him first. Here we go. What do the wise men do? Again, in verse 11, they bring what is costly. Scripture says they bowed down and worshiped him, and then they opened their treasures. They open their treasures. You don't put your junk in the treasure. Amen. <laughs> One of the kids, as they were coming up for the play, um, opened a box that was, he was one of the magi. And he says, I got candy in the box. <laughs> I said, okay, that, that's good. That's good. Look, if I'm six years old, candy is a treasure. Amen. <laughs> Ain't no doubt about it. That candy is a treasure. I'm going to give that to Jesus. I gave Jesus a Snickers bar. Glory to God in the highest. Amen. What is it that you treasure? What's your treasure that God is saying, give that to me. Give that to me. You know, the old commercial said, you're in good hands with all state. But you're in much better hands when you give it over to the Lord. We give him our treasured possession. What is that for you? Your time, your energy, your finances. What is God calling you to give? Final point here, final idea. They recognize Jesus for who he truly is. There was an old deacon in a church that Harriet and I were at years ago. And I remember him going through the story of the Magi and and our old deacon said, and they came to him and they gave him gold, Frankenstein and myrrh. It's not Frankenstein, it's frankincense. Amen. 
These things, and I don't know, I don't necessarily believe that the, uh, the Magi knew exactly what these things meant, but we can look back and gold signifies royalty. We're coming before the one who is the king of kings and the Lord of lords. Frankincense signifies divinity. He's more than a high and great king. He is God. And myrrh represents a spice for passion and for burial. I wonder what Mary might be thinking if she's putting those things together. What does this all mean? Because the scripture says over and over again of Mary, she treasures up these things in her heart that she hears, that she sees. Brothers and sisters, we are blessed beyond all peoples to know that Jesus Christ is Lord. He has come for you. He is in love with you. I said it last week or last night. I actually said something like this, that not only is he crazy about you, but there is nothing in this world that will stop him from coming after you. And he bids us to come and worship and give him glory. I pray that today as we leave this place, some of you have already perhaps done some things with presents and had some celebration, but I pray as we go in celebration, we do that recognizing that the greatest of all gifts we have received in the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. And we will be a people that draws near to him and gives him the glory that is due to him and him alone. Let me pray. Father God, I thank you today for the reality of our Savior who has come and who has come to save his people from their sins. Lord, I thank you that you didn't just come for a small segment that checked off the right boxes, but you drew even these magi Astrologers, your word doesn't have a lot of good things to say about that. But you drew them anyway because you loved them. And you wanted them to stand as witnesses that our God has come into this world. Lord, I pray that you would just continue to blow our minds, expand our hearts, and expand the repertoire of the ways that we are able to worship and glorify our great and mighty King. Lord, bless your people now. We pray it in Jesus' name.